Hey, alright! And welcome to Better Yet. I'm Tim Crisp, your host. Better Yet is a conversation about music. And our conversation this week is with Jamie Coletta of No Earbuds. Jamie is a PR genius. One of the greatest brains. And she's got a story to share. Thank you for joining us. Thank you to Namdi for our intro music, Marcus Nuccio for our graphics. Each week, you can see all those on our website, betteryetpod.com. invite you all to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. You can follow us on Bandcamp, betteryetpodcast.bandcamp.com. Bubbas, let me tell you, it has been such an exciting stretch of time on this here podcast the past few weeks. We have Brian Funk of Thou, Mike Park, Sheena Ozella of Lemuria. Just a huge role that we've been on. And I will say, this is something that I do not take for granted, especially this time of the year. Traditionally, January and February have been the toughest months to make it through. We're doing this podcast weekly. Just getting guests to be on the pod when I was doing it in person. Pickings were slim during the winter, which would kind of just compound on the winter blues. But doing these over a video chat, getting to have conversations like this, being able to share them during a time like this, this has been rewarding and fulfilling. Just being able to reach people make new friends. It's a whole new energy, just feeling very excited and proud and stoked too. I'm in my new office, finally set up in a permanent space. Got my file cabinets set up. Never thought I'd be so excited about file cabinets, but here we are. This podcast has a Patreon, patreon.com slash podcast, where we've got some very fun audio-visual programming available to you. My dear friend Pat Nordyke of Bruges and Angry Gods, and to a lesser extent, Boiling Over. Pat and I collaborated on a Guided by Voices mixtape, going back and forth, choosing songs, 45 minutes on side A, 45 minutes on side B. It's a ripper. And we got a slew of audio from the Life's Work podcast that I did about Laura Stevenson's Sit Resist, all my interviews with Laura, as well as my conversation with Chris Gethard. Plus, we get a weekly contribution from our guests, a special piece of bonus content. Brian Funk of Thou gifted us an entire unreleased live set that Thou recorded in 2018. Playlists from Lucy Dacus, Sarah Tudson of Illuminati Hotties covers Augusta Koch doing June on the West Coast by Bright Eyes, Tony Molina and Rose Melberg on GBV's 14 Cheerleader Cold Front, and Jake Ewald of Slaughter Beach Dog give us a cover of Drunken Angel by Lucinda Williams. This week, Jamie Coletta and I did a watch along season four, episodes nine and ten. The Deposition, and The Dinner Party. Of course, The American Office. Jamie's got a tattoo 
that comes from the deposition episode. You can watch along with our audio commentary. I, I even got a Peacock account. There's a better yet Peacock account. Put it on the company card. Expense that shit. And the patrons can log in through there and watch along while Jamie and I watch two of the greatest episodes in the history of The Office. And we've got two tiers of pledging for our Patreon. You can pledge $3 a month, and I'll give you access to all the bonus audio and visual content that we're posting weekly. And if you pledge $10 a month, you'll get all that. Plus, every three months, we'll be sending out some cool merchandise. We did some custom-printed pocket notebooks. Did a little block print on them. Great. You pledge to our Patreon. No matter which tier you're pledging to, we split the revenue from this podcast evenly between the show, the guests, and organizations chosen by our guests. So we're paying Jamie for her time for this interview, and we're also sending money this week to The Last Prisoner Project. Last Prisoner Project is a nonprofit organization dedicated to cannabis criminal justice reform. Happy to be helping them out this week. If you'd like to support them and support the show, you go to patreon.com slash podcast. All right. My guest this week is Jamie Coletta of No Earbuds. No Earbuds is a PR and marketing collective that Jamie started in 2019, but her work on that side of music goes back many, many years. Jamie served as the PR homie at Side One Dummy Records, where she helped bring that label into an era of big-time significance, putting out records from the likes of Jeff Rosenstock, Pup, Warriors, Chris Farron, Roswell Kid, Meat Wave, which is where we connected first. Jamie hit me up to see about interviewing Chris when The Incessant was about to come out, the fact that she reached out to me it was incredibly flattering. I didn't think I'd be on anyone's radar working on that level. But aside from that, what struck me was that the correspondence I got from Jamie wasn't, you know, will you interview this person I'm representing? It was, hey, you gotta hear this Meat Wave record. And that's the thing about Jamie is that she's so fucking passionate about the work that she does It goes beyond PR, it's enthusiasm, it's love for music and wanting your bands to be heard. We can all relate to that. I met Jamie later that year when Stefan from Pup was over. Jamie really wanted to meet Chloe, so she came by with Stefan. I'm glad that they got a chance to meet. But for everything that Jamie put into building Side One Dummy into the label, it had become... January of 2018, they just dropped everyone with no real explanation. There are bands that are still recovering from that. Jamie was let go, left with questions that would go unanswered, but she got things rolling for herself. And a year to the day after she was let go from side one, she started No Earbuds, a name that serves to an ever-evolving role that Jamie's continuing to craft. She continues to work with a majority of those bands from Side One Dummy and other friends of ours like Barty Strange, Rat Boys, Kississippi, and tomorrow, February 5th, No Earbuds will be releasing Earbuds Volume 1 on Bandcamp. 100% of the proceeds will be going to The Last Prisoner Project. 
It's a joy to have Jamie on here to chat. Thank you for listening. Subscribe to the pod. Tell a friend. For now, here's me and Jamie Coletta. Music fade in, conversation happening, and I can just be like, man, you know, the craziest thing happened not too long ago, Jamie, is that I, I learned for the first time that no earbuds was an office reference because uh, I've never, I'd never finished the office until there you go a month ago. Yeah, it's all the way at the end. It's in season nine. Um, yeah. You know, I love. I I never like publicly was too clear about where it came from, but I love how people kind of discover it on their own and they'll be home watching it and be like, wait, what? <laughs> it's awesome. Totally. And I, I, you know what? It's funny because I've been, I always watch through like basically up to when Michael leaves. That's kind of where I, I guess, drew the line at first. And then I watched a little bit further and I was like, you know, I really like Aaron and I really like Gabe and I kind of, I'm enjoying this and I'm experiencing it a little bit differently. But what was really funny is like the last couple of times we watched it, I've disliked Jim more and more each time. And I've been like, oh, this, you know, I'm like mad. Cause it's like, how does nobody know that this guy's not that great? And then watching through the end, it's like, oh, that was, that was intentional. He became unlikable on purpose. Yeah. yeah. I also feel like something that people forget is that like Pam went to art school. Pam tried all these different things in the beginning of their relationship that made things kind of wobbly and he was just chilling. And mm -hmm. so towards the end, he, it, the dynamic shifted a little bit. And I think, you know, for me, that was dope. Cause I was just like, yo, I love to see some, something shake up there, but it's funny because people are like, Jim's an asshole. And I'm like, what? He had her back. <laughs> like, it's just, you know, there. I have, I have yeah. feelings about this. <laughs> he, he did have her back. And I think it's a relatable feeling, too, to be like the kind of the stable partner who's just like, yeah, yeah. cool. Totally. You hold it down. Yeah. yeah, you hold it down for them. Like, yeah, exactly. And I think towards the end, you know, he, he made mistakes, but like in the general of what happened, she needed to hold him down. You know, it was just a lot more complicated once they had kids and stuff. I literally, I sh could talk about this for so long. <laughs> well, Jamie Galetta, that's great news because you and I are going to talk more about the Yes, we are. On Patreon, patreon.com slash very hip. <laughs> You're killing it. I love it. <laughs> how are you? How, how, how has your uh, 2021 been so far? It's been crazy. I'm, I'm doing great. Um, all things considered, obviously, you know, I don't leave my house too often. And when I do, I start getting nervous, <laughs> which, you know, that's a problem. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, um, yeah, things are great. And no earbuds is off to like its second year in business. Um, and everything's just been, I don't even know, it just gets better and better. And it's been really fun. And I get to work with a lot of awesome artists and the what I'm doing with them is transforming. So yeah, I, my year is, is doing great so far. <laughs> You're, it, I like this, uh, one of the things I like about No Earbuds is that it seems to be a sort of amorphous uh, 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 corporation you got over there. You're kind of, 
you're kind of doing something that doesn't have a definition and by that you can kind of make it work with what's changing right yeah like you nail exactly what I'm going for is like when I it was funny like I remember when I was the months leading up to announcing that I was going to do this. Like I knew I was going to do it, but I was really hung up on figuring out like, what is it? Like Mm -hmm. I needed this like perfect definition. And I was like, I would come up with stuff and delete it and come up with it and delete it all the time until like, it was literally the night before. And I just went with it. I just said, fuck it. And this is just going to be whatever I feel like it is. And I'm going to just take this risk by not calling it a PR company or whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to let it exist and see if people like it. <laughs> like, and hope to God they stick with me while I figure out what it is. And yeah, now I'm still doing it. And that's sort of, it has opened me up to just doing anything I really want. And so it's been pretty cool. Yeah. I think that that's an interesting position to find yourself in where you're about to announce something. And as someone who is, uh spent time in crafting a message to have something that doesn't have a definition that's counter to everything that you do. Yeah. And, but at the end of it, I had to kind of come to terms with that, not giving myself these limits in terms of what it was, Mm. that was ultimately so me, you know, like to just kind of create, to take the rule book and throw it out the window and figure out my own way to do it. I, I, I think I was, blinded by my nerves you know and my fear of like okay once I do this this is real Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I don't really get to take it back without it kind of being embarrassing you know so um I think the nerves made me forget for a second who I was and that not putting any restrictions to what I do that's inherently me anyway so it's, it's, hey, it's tough. It's tough to kind of, I can, I always say that I'm really good at coaching and guiding and marketing other people's stuff, but my yeah. own, pff, I got no clue. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Cause you're, you're coming in as uh as an outsider. And also like, I think one of my favorite things about talking to people in this world is that you, you, you talk to a lot of people who are just like immediately self-defeating to some level. Just like, uh, this probably isn't interesting. It's like, no, no. Like, I know I, I'm pretty terrible, but. Like... Um, so, and are you living, you live in Los Angeles, right? I do. Yeah. You grow mm-hmm. up there? Hell no. <laughs> um, I wish. Um, I grew up in Rhode Island, really. Rhode Island? Yeah. Whereabouts mm-hmm. in Rhode Island? I live in a town called Johnston, which Uh if anyone watching this or hearing this knows Johnston, that's crazy. Um, (laughs) It's very small. um, And I lived there till I went to college. I went to college in Connecticut. So then from there. We're in Connecticut. Hartford, University of Hartford. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I did that. And then when I graduated, we moved out here. So tell me then about about Johnston, Rhode Island. (laughs) Okay. Oh God. I haven't been there in a while. That's number Uh one. Um, but number two, uh, I mean, picture, um, the road, there's a Dunkin' Donuts drive through on this side of the road. So if you're driving this way, you don't have to take a left turn. You just turn Uh right, right across, pretty much right across the street or within like some kind of eye shot. There's one on the other side of the road so that that side of the road doesn't have to cross into the other Dunkin'. 
that's, you know, a very tiny Mm -hmm. sampling of what that place is like. There's tanning salons everywhere. Um, Yeah. Dunkin' Donuts, tanning salons. It's, it's big Italian culture. So just, Mm -hmm. you know, all the different, you know, it's funny because here in LA, it's a lot about like Mexican food. And so like, that's all over the place, wherever you go. That's what it's like there with Italian food, which is dope. Um, And I mean, all else I will say is I don't live there anymore. So that should tell you a little bit about what the people there are like, but. (laughs) Your folks still there? My parents live in another town in Rhode Island. My little brother actually lives in the same house we grew up in though. So he's still there in Johnston. Oh, wow. So he, he bought the house from your, from your parents? I think he just lives there. Truthfully. I don't really know. I don't know the inner workings of their situation, but I would guess he just lives there. Are you close with your folks? You talk to them a lot. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm definitely close to my mom. Um, my mom is awesome. What she do? She's retired now. Uh Yeah. She doesn't work anymore, but she worked in healthcare. Oh, okay. So yeah. Yeah, no, she's great. And, um, you know, we've been through a lot together and, you know, it's crazy now she's a grandma. So (laughs) that's cool. So is that, is that the, uh, the sibling that's living in the house is also Oh, my brother. Yeah. Uh I have a brother and I have an older sister as well. Okay. So is the older sister, the one with the, with the kid? Oh, of course. I was like, no, it's me, dog. You got that that baby. You and Laura Stevenson had a baby at like the exact same time. Yes, I do got that baby. Um, (laughs) We had our babies like three days apart. Is yours? Like when I had, I think the day I had mine, she was going into labor. Like we were just right behind each other. Wild. So So is yours walking now? Not yet. Almost. He is definitely trying, but I would guess within the next month, probably. Yeah. You're like in the... Are you in the like hovering mode of like, okay, you can stand there, but like, don't move. Just stand. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. He crawls really fast though. So mm-hmm. if he's on the floor, you really definitely have to be aware or else like he'll get to something very quickly. So. So was there music in the house when you were growing up? Mm, not really. I mean, yes, because I think, you know, when my parents were younger, I think they both, you know, they had the types of music that they liked. And they had some records in the house, but I don't really ever remember them playing them. You know, I just, I remember seeing them and like going through them and looking at them. Um, And like my mom listened to the radio a lot. She listens like pop radio. Mm -hmm. Um, So I remember going to all like the radio concerts and stuff like that with all the like pop stuff. Um, So, but I know like when they were more like in the college years and stuff, they were definitely into like the, I guess what would have been like, fucking like the 70s when everybody was like roller skating and shit i don't know if they roller skated but i definitely think they wore bell bottoms and stuff (laughs) but i think it's always been more like pop and r&b stuff that they've leaned towards i know that my mom loves earth wind and fire and stuff like that so yeah but they don't nobody played music as far as i knew yeah so when when did you kind of discover music in the uh you know way that it takes over your life yeah, um, honestly, I, I think it had to, I think I always, you know, I gravitated towards, I was like a preteen, right, when all the boy band stuff was happening, so yeah. I was super into the Backstreet Boys, um, and a lot of, like, small, you know what, this was probably a good preview of my life, I loved the Backstreet Boys, that was my favorite, but then there's all these, like, 
smaller boy bands that nobody remembers really and I loved all those like I loved the baby boy bands um and then god I mean I went through a really big S Club 7 phase I used to love that shit what was the Um, S Club 7 song I mean there's a lot of them yeah but there's like one that I know a slow one like is it really slow I don't know never had a dream come true they also have S like they have a song called like I think it's S Club Party or something like that I don't know it was awful but (laughs) that was like I think I it's funny like that era of music I got like obsessed with stuff but in a different way than when I kind of came into more of like the emo and punk stuff later when I was like a teenager Um, yeah but you were buying you were buying magazines like you were oh yeah oh the walls were covered dude like that I I was me I was fully in it like I was in it I'll, I'll never forget they had like a partnership with Burger King and I made my we had to go get all the different collector cups from Burger King. Like I was really into that shit. <laughs> Who's your favorite Backstreet Boy? You know, I think back then it was definitely Nick. Yeah. But I think now looking back, I'm gonna go with a Brian. I think Brian has stayed the like most wholesome and oh, safe, I think. On, Brian. Oh, relax. Okay, relax. I'm just not trying to pick a problematic fave, okay? <laughs> boring. I think half of them are probably, Brian is not boring. He's like the best singer in the group. Get out of here. I'm not going to choose AJ. That's not going to happen. I'm sorry. I just can't. <laughs> Kevin maybe, but Kevin's not in it anymore, I don't think. Or he oh, is. Really? I don't pay attention. I don't know. I remember <laughs> I remember when, uh, when Kevin sang on the, uh, uh, what was the fucking video with the, the airplane? <laughs> Uh, that Blink One Eighty Two made. Oh, I right. want it that way. Yeah, I want it that way. And it was like the the big thing was like Kevin singing. It's like well, that's good. <laughs> that's <the whole> point. <laughs> Isn't he Kevin. in the group? Like I thought that's what he did. <laughs> yeah, no, he was. Uh, he had that like it was like in um in sync. They had the dude with the super low voice too. Like the, yeah. and in voice to men too. Like anybody with that deep deep voice just kind of chills in the background. So when mm. they come out for a solo, you're like, whoa. <laughs> this is a big deal <laughs> so when does like when does the the pop punk stuff come in when when do you yeah. graduate when are you tearing down all the backstreet yeah yeah, yeah. um the wall? high school for sure um it, i think it started my sister was really into newfound glory and yeah, fuck yeah um well my, me and my i love newfound glory later I ended up liking those earlier records but me and my sister it's sort of funny I've always just even when I was really into Backstreet Boys she was super into NSYNC so we kind of always had our like little beefs and so uh-huh. she would drive me to we would go to school together and she would drive listening to this newfound glory stuff and it was like because it was her and she loved it I had to hate it but then low-key I was like fuck this is so good like like I really do like this and I, I can't recall really like how I got from that point to really getting into it but it was stuff through, you know it was easily found through newfound glory like something corporate brand new mm-hmm. take my Sunday like I kind of just went down that rabbit hole and once I was gone I was go follow up boy like once I was there I was I was like it was a lost cause. Like I, I had found it, you know? And I just totally. like, I was constantly trying to find new stuff and, and I had all these mix CDs. Like I was obsessed, but it sprung from somewhere in there. So we, if we're like tracing the line into like what you do now, were mm-hmm. you sort of, I guess, equally as obsessive with the boy bands in terms of just like 
knowing everything about the bands and like you know i know what chad's favorite food is yes jordan buys his dickies (laughs) i feel like yes i definitely knew i i that's why i feel like it's almost like a precursor to how i am now because it's just like i was obsessed with not just like I needed to know all the different ba- boy bands, you know, like, and I wanted to know, I wanted to support the smaller ones. They weren't as popular. And like all those things yeah, were I like, that. I fucking loved like Westlife. And um, what's another one? Like no authority is another one I can remember. Like I could, if I had to, I could probably dig up some gems though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're the one that's like, okay, Summer Girls is a good song, but LFO has some like, <laughs> great, great stuff on the record that like you, you just gotta buy it. Deep cuts, deep cuts. Uh, so, so then, when where are you going to shows when you're in Rhode Island? Then, or or bands? I guess bands at that level are coming to Providence, right? Yeah, for sure. We definitely had a good amount of stuff. Um, there was Lupo's was like the bigger room, um, but there was this awesome spot called the Living Room. Um, mm. <clears throat> it was an old um, like pancake restaurant that they turned into a venue. It was basically like it looked and felt and smelled everything about it felt like a garage. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it was just this old abandoned building. They just kind of barely touched up to make into a venue. Um, but it was incredible. I mean, that place was just, that was it. You know, that's where all the bands, that's where I first saw against me. That's where I first saw like, I mean, a lot of, a lot of great stuff back then, but um, yeah, that, that was definitely the go-to word. There was a few other spots. Like there was something called the call that we went mm-hmm. to a really small bar I saw Jesse Lacey from Brand New uh, perform there. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, world, but I did see it, so and it was cool. <laughs> um, we're shit, yeah, all, like there's we're all working through it. Hey, yeah, we are, exactly. It's like I can't take away from the fact that that was super chill. That dude yeah. was literally like right. And my sister and I actually we went to see together, and we joked about it afterwards because we thought like there was a guy. He you know he had a hoodie on with a beanie and like glasses, and he was checking the guitar. And we were like, you know, it's a floor kind of situation. It's just a bar. So he's in the corner and the crowd's kind of right there with him. Mm-hmm. And we're right up at front. And we're thinking that the dude checking the guitar is just the dude checking the guitar. Like we didn't think anything of it. And then all of a sudden he just went, hey, everyone, I'm Jesse. And we're like, <laughs> we were just like as far away from him as me and the computer. It was crazy. Um, but we full on thought it was just like a random dude. And then he started playing and we were like. <laughs> Wild. Crazy. Wild. Yeah. Um. So when you went to when you went to school, what did you go to school for? Did you do PR? I did not. No. Well, I started when I entered college. I went in as a communication major, uh-huh. um, just because it. I didn't really know what I wanted, and it seemed like the most general thing that could Something maybe vague, appeal yeah. to some kind of music thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't until I was in there in that program that first semester. First off, it was terrible. I was like. I knew the second I was in a class where on the, the whiteboard, they wrote down like, what is a newspaper? And I was like, nope, 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 oh, no. nope. Yeah, I'm like, this is not for me, dog. Like, <laughs> this ain't it, chief. Like, I'm not going to sit here and, <laughs> and learn what a newspaper is. This is ridiculous. I, and- took a, I took an art appreciation class in college, <laughs> and it was just like filled with, it was a gen ed. Oh. And, and uh, I remember we watched some documentary about um, people doing like, you know, like fireworks, like as art. And then we, it was opened up to the class and there was this ROTC guy who was just like, yeah, see, I don't know. Cause like, I could just like knock over my books 
and he knocked over his, his he knocks over his books and he says and say well that's art and i was like i gotta get the fuck yeah jesus christ i can't do this for a whole year or four uh, years like mm-mm. yeah I, I was yeah i was completely turned off to it and knew definitely right away that was not the side that was not what i was looking for you know um, mm-hmm. and it wasn't until i was like actually in school like there on campus like living it that I found out that the, the school, like the college had a like pretty well-known music conservatory that was a part of the school. Mm. It was like a separate entry process and it was mostly for musicians. It's like a primarily big jazz um, place. Cause we were, we were only like, yeah. we we're only like an hour and a half, two hours from New York, you know? Um, yeah. So we had a lot of big jazz people there and for teachers and stuff like that. And um, they actually had just like in the year prior started a program. They had always had a program for music management, which would mean like musician students would take this music management class to just take on a few business classes. That was it. But the years prior to me going there, they started a separate program that I think they called it performing arts management. And that was sort of more of their like music business only program for people that don't play anything, but still want to do this. And um, yeah, when I was there is when I found out that even existed. So that's when I was like, wait, that's what I would like to do. <laughs> like, that sounds much more my speed. Um, and that's what I ended up doing. So how, how was that program? I mean, did you, you learn a lot from it? Cause I know, I know music like business programs can be a little dicey at times. Yeah. I mean, I think that they're much better now. Um, yeah. I, I pay attention to the schools that are doing them well. Um, I have plenty of great memories from my college years, but yeah. I don't feel like at the time that the classes were all the way where they probably could have been. I think there were some that like, I don't retain anything from. And there are others where I definitely like have specific things I learned and I remember. So it was kind of a mix. And I think for me, that program was mostly about getting my foot in the door through internships. So that was, I got my first ever internship through a co like another student. And Mm -hmm. that's like, if I didn't have that program, I don't think I would have been able to make that connection. So that's that's my first one was at Capitol records in New York. Yeah. So I had another classmate had just done her internship there and I was looking for something and she was like, Oh, I'll put you in touch with that. And I got an interview, my, my now husband, but we went out to um, New York together and he I interviewed went and, you? No, no, he came with me. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. All right. Yeah, no, no, no. He came with me. He, we've been together since college, but so he, I remember we were like at a coffee shop right before the interview and he was like, <laughs> this is such a like humbling memory. I was so green that I, it was, I'm go, I figure I'm going in for a meeting with a major label. I don't know what artists are on what major labels. Like, I don't know what this is. And I remember he was quizzing me in this coffee shop before the interview in New York about like, what labels Mariah carry on? What labels? <laughs> and I like, it's like, I, I just like laugh because I'm just like, that would have never mattered. <laughs> but it was cute. So what did you do with that internship then? I, I, I ended up being put in the publicity department. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, I mean, shout out if any of them end up catching this out, catching this um, episode, because I'm still good friends with a lot of them. So that's pretty cool. Um, and cool. yeah, I worked in the publicity department with like six publicists, I think, and then a couple of coordinators and assistants. 
it was great. I was the only intern at the time. So I definitely feel like I got to know everybody really well. Um, I did a lot of basic internship. I remember that sure. I spent an entire, you know, summer cleaning up a CD closet. Um, this was also back when they had press kits were physical. And so I would have to be the one that like printed everything out and put them together and shipped them out and like all that kind of stuff. Um, so that was a lot of it, but through it, I was able to kind of just observe and meet these people and sort of watch them, you know, and just kind of when I could have a chance to talk to them and learn a little bit more and like get my hands a little bit dirtier, but it was definitely like your classic, like first internship kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. So publicity was, you know, kind of on your radar and then you were within it and it was like, here we are. Perfect. Yeah. I mean, I don't think, yeah, it was never something that I like, I never, and I still don't ever want to aspire to be a publicist, you know, like no, no shade. It's just like, that was never my thing. And I didn't even know what it was. And I get this internship and I'm in there and I'm like, so I'm, we're just telling people about shit. Like, that's yeah, cool. Yeah. I can do this. <laughs> like, this is fine for me. And I think it was just like, I think I just like, first, I have to credit the people I worked with. Because honestly, they're some of the still working best publicists I've ever met. Like, they're so mm-hmm. talented and incredible and legendary. So I think it was a little bit of like, honestly, I got lucky. I worked with some really cool people. And I got to see what, you know, how they lived. And like, they were working Katy Perry when I was there, when she first came out with I Kissed a Girl. And I was able to watch that publicist in action, you know, wow. break a, a huge name like that out of like the warp tour scene that I was kind of coming out of, you know? And mm-hmm. so it was just like a lot of just, I don't think I went into it even thinking, I thought, okay, cool. I'll do this internship in publicity and then I'll find something else. You know, I'll keep trying other shit. But once I was there, I think, you know, a credit to all of them and what I got to see that summer. But it was just like, yeah, I think I learned pretty quickly that that would have worked for me. So yeah. I just stuck with it at that point. So uh, what did you end up doing after college? We moved uh, to Los Angeles in this, like pretty much right after. I actually had a job interview. The month, I graduated college on a Sunday. I think the job interview was like Monday afternoon here. Wow. And we took a red eye that night and we came out and we did at least just did the interview and then went back, but I didn't get that job, but we came out anyway, a couple months later and I didn't get a new, I didn't get any work until like moved in like August. I think I didn't work until like September or something. And then um, I found a job being a receptionist at a dermatology office and I did that um, for uh, way too long, but it was funny. I got that job. I accepted it and I started it and then wouldn't, couldn't have even been two weeks into this new job. I got a call from the publicist I mentioned that worked with Katy Perry. I got a call from her Mm -hmm. saying my assistant is moving on or she's getting promoted. Would you like to be my assistant? I was like, fuck this. Like what the fuck? (laughs) I remember just being like, what the hell is this? Cause if she had called two months earlier, I wouldn't have moved to Los Angeles. You know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. my whole life would be different. We would have lived in New York. Everything would have been different. So it's just, it's, I didn't take it at that time. Cause I was like, I'm not going to relocate again. Like that's crazy. (laughs) That was, that was a rough situation. That was just like the universe. That was crazy. Oh, totally. Yeah. But so I worked at the dermatologist office for a while and a couple months into it, I, I wanted to stay active with the music stuff. So mm-hmm. um, I reached back out to the people at Capitol and I was able to do some work with their publicity team in LA. Um, so I was able to kind of have my, keep my, you know, creative side and my, my work side developing while I did this kind of 
daily work at this receptionist office. Yeah, I mean, that's good that you were active enough to do that because I feel like you settle into that role. It's hard to get out. Yeah, well, that was my fear is I didn't want to have this big gap in time where I didn't stay busy. I mean, I was working with some awful artists too, like on my own. Like I found these like, you know, little pop stars and shit on YouTube and stuff and at different places. And I just like worked with, you know, PR, wrote them bios, shit like that. Like just to kind uh-huh. of keep the same thing, just keep it, keep exercising that part of my brain a little bit. So, mm. so um, where did you, did you work uh, somewhere between the receptionist and side one dummy? Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I had been working at the doctor's office for probably a while, um, a couple of years at least. And then where did I go right away? I had this part-time PR gig for, she's still a working publicist. Um, she, I did that part-time for a while. And while I was working there, I got a call from Sony and um, mm-hmm. my resume had been on file because I had applied to probably a million jobs at that point. Um, yeah. But it was actually one of my, su- my supervisor at Capitol here in LA he was talking to another publicist at RCA and they kind of talked about me and this guy needed an assistant and bada bing, bada boom. I got, <laughs> I got this job and I, yeah. So I worked at RCA for a couple of years before Sidewind. Mm-hmm. What were you doing at RCA? Were you working with artists directly or was it still? Like um, I was definitely an assistant. 100%. Yeah. I was junior, junior, junior. Um, but the boss I had, I mean, that dude is still, he's my, one of my greatest mentors and friends, you know, like Mm. that's, he, he, I got to, like, he allowed me to get um, more hands-on than probably an assistant normally would. Um, I was, I got, by the time I left there on the PR side, I was working plenty. I did tours by myself. I could handle working an entire press run for a tour. Mm. I was running like full day long press junkets by myself. They were sending me to like cover shoots for magazines like I was definitely like towards the end he really wanted to develop me and showed me the way a little bit um but it was crazy because while that side of my job was going so fucking good um the other side of it halfway through my time there they said okay this other executive is going to move from New York to LA he works in tv and film and you're also going to be his assistant and I was like Uh okay and you know kind of normal everybody had two or three people they supported so I was like cool I've been lucky to just have one but I'll take it on I'll learn something new let's go um what followed the same though okay great yeah well what followed was like the craziest shit I've ever been through (laughs) yeah yeah I mean that you know I I don't want to you know what? I don't give a shit. That guy treated me like shit. <laughs> oh, and it, yeah, it was rough. It was definitely rough for a couple of years, you know, for the time while I was with him. Um, and it was crazy because I had this one boss who was like, he saw everything in me and he was like, let's develop your skills and let's get you out there. Let's keep working at it. Working, 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 really supported me. And on the other side, I have this person who viewed me as just like, classic Hollywood assistant type shit where Mm -hmm. no, no concept or respect for who I was as a person. And so it was really, really hard that whole last year I was there um, to the point where I just ended up having to leave, you know, and I, it was, it was awful. And um, it was funny. I remember calling the other boss, the one that was good to me. And he was like, you have to go, you have to, you know, like this, it gets to a certain point where like, 
I was losing sight of the whole point of why I was there. You know, I kind of, I hadn't, there was a good chunk of years there where I didn't discover any new music, <laughs> like nothing in my, you know, that I liked. Right. Um, I think for a long time, I was really into like balance and composure. And like, that was the only new band I had found <laughs> for like years. <laughs> it was yeah. crazy, but um, I know I'm, I can talk a lot about this experience if you have questions, but it was just, yeah, it was crazy. Life-changing for sure. Well, I do have questions. Yeah, no, I'm, a, I'm, no, I'm an open book, dude. I just have never talked about it publicly like that. And I, I trust you. So like, I'm good. <laughs> All right. Well, so I guess, you know, it's kind of funny because I, I feel maybe a little bit naive to that whole world, but, um, cause I, there are obviously like cutthroat shitty publicists in the music business but i feel like the movies and tv sort of hustle in that game is so insane so you just kind of got thrown into all yeah. of the worst of hollywood pretty much yeah mm -hmm. it was everything you see in movies like stereotypical about that kind of dynamic it was that <laughs> yeah it was rough yeah it was just people who have egos bigger than themselves and they just, you know, they expect everybody else to see the same thing. And it's, it's, it's a tough dynamic, especially for someone like me, man. I just feel I'm way too emotional and sensitive for, <laughs> for that situation. So it was really hard for me, but. Yeah. Well, fuck. So, I mean, yeah. sign of a good mentor though, that he's telling you, you got oh, yeah. to, you got to go. And then the silent yeah. dummy thing comes up. Yeah, it was crazy. He, I left and then um, a month later he left that same poet. He quit yeah. um, because they tried to give him a new assistant. He didn't like them. And he was like, you know what? I'll just leave and take my clients with me. You know, I'll just take the artists with me and they'll hire me out. Mm -hmm. And that's what they did. And he ended up um, working. He was working independently, starting his own business and he had me help him out with a bunch of stuff. So in that few months afterwards, I had, you know, again, still flexing that creative muscle, still working on stuff. Um, and then, yeah, it was probably like six or seven months later that I heard about the side one gig and I got that. Mm -hmm. So what year was this? Like when is, uh, I think 2012 was the year, like I got the gig at the end of the year and started at the top of the next one. So I think okay. I started January, 2013. And 2013, they're, they're kind of kicking things up i feel like uh sort of the the new phase of side one dummy starts around that time because you got title fight right and and floral green was 2012 so what's yeah. that you got restorations when they said restorations i was like oh this is a thing now so yeah well so when i got there i was title fight was out like mm -hmm. title fight was already moving on, like out of contract, moving on to the next pro next label. Yeah. And, um, restorations was pretty much the only thing, you know, like everything else was really like remnants of the times that they had like flog Molly and, um, Gold Over Dello. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah, the yeah. remnants of that era and gaslight, like that remnants of that era, the smaller bands, whatever, like that was all still there, but those things were all sort of on this like downturn. Mm -hmm. And they have restorations, which was like <laughs> the totally different wavelength, you know, a totally different speed. Yeah. Um, so that was cool, but that's how it was when I came in. So there was nothing, none of the other stuff had been there yet. That was the only one. 
So I, I, people credit you a lot when it comes to what that label ends up becoming, which is, you know, bands like Smith Street and then uh, Jeff and Chris Farron and Warriors. I guess what sort of role did you play in bringing new people in? Yeah, um, some of them, it was a direct, I found, you know, I either made contact with somebody or they came to me or we connected somehow and I brought them their music in and shared it with everybody and convinced everybody to do it or yeah. um, other times it's a collaborative thing. You know, I remember the first time we met Jeff, it was me and a coworker and we went out, we hung out with them had dinner, got to see them play. And, you know, that came through. I think our, the guy who was running our merch hit us up and was like, oh, you should check out Jeff, you know, uh-huh. like, so it's like, sometimes it was more collaborative and, and a couple of us would be the ones bringing it in. And then other times it was direct. So is that, is that uncommon or is that um, some, yeah, I'm, well, I wouldn't say it's uncommon. There are definitely labels who operate in a similar way where everybody can kind of bring stuff into the table and bring mm. it up for conversation. Um, and it's encouraged, but then there's a lot of other ones that just have dedicated A&R staffs, you know? Yeah. Like, but there was no, there was never an A&R person for side one. Like that didn't exist. Everybody had the opportunity to bring stuff to the table, whether they did or not, you know, that's their own thing, but mm-hmm. they everybody could have, you know, at any point. I think you really helped like create an identity for that label, especially in like that phase of it where it became this hub of you know i mean jeff had put things out with labels before but he credits you in just like turning him from yeah turning him from like he's also right there i don't know if you can see yeah i I could see him the cover over there i got him all over this room i love that man (laughs) um what were you going to say? I'm sorry. Well, I, I think that he's, you know, part of, I, I think that if you, if you were to categorize like the bands that put out records with side one, when you were there, it was this really nice collection of like people like Jeff and Chris and, and uh, Lauren who'd been doing stuff in, you know, with different labels over over a long stretch of time. And then you had bands like Meatwave and uh, Roswell Kid. And there was this really nice hub that like kind of comes together of people who've been around for a while and then people who are definitely on the up, but it all felt very connected in a way that yeah. doesn't always happen with labels. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a result of a lot of things. It's obviously a result of our taste, but, you know, and that was all definitely within at least me and the other, you know, main person who I, you know, I was closer with while I worked there. That was all like within what we liked anyway. But it it's funny because it's like each one almost connects to another. Like yeah. Pup was the first one after Restoration. Mm-hmm. Pup, you know, we've... Oh, I can't believe I, I, I overlooked Pup. <laughs> I, I like I forced a good relate we, we had good relationships with them so when we would be talking about new bands we would go to them and say what do you think you know and uh-huh. that has become even to this day with no earbuds that's still something I do a lot I have a few artists that I'll always bounce stuff by because it's like hey do you think this fits into our, our little bubble like do does this work you know mm-hmm. do you get excited about this so we used to do that back then with the other bands but then it was also like you know I 
can't remember who brought up AJJ, but then it's like Jeff's there, you know, AJ, they are, they're all connected. So it's yeah. like, yeah. you know, we're getting them through each other almost. We're like, you know, no, we can't sign all of the friends of each, all of our bands, but if there's something cool in there, you know, that we all love, then yeah, we were able to kind of make those connections between them. And like Lauren and Warriors came to me, um, Lauren just directly emailed me and was like, I, you know, I know Jeff a little bit, but you know, I see the work you do and stuff like that. So it's just like, I think it all kind of had that feeling to it because it happened super like naturally and organically. Mm -hmm. You, I think have, really cultivated a, an ability to put yourself into the not just like what you do with no earbuds but reading like some of your press releases and then also looking at like the stories that get told through the press that your artist gain there's this sense of a very personal voice behind all of it and that's that's a very unique thing and i'm wondering if you were encouraged to like develop it that way or it, it kind of just comes out for you that way it probably is a little bit of both i yeah. don't i don't do anything like super on purpose i think if anything i just when I'm approaching the way I write things or the way I communicate about this, this music stuff, I really just try to look at everything as if I'm the fan and what's going to get my attention and how, what do I respond to as a music listener? And that's the thing. If you go all the way back, like we've been talking about, this all started because I'm a fan of music and I really just didn't want to do anything else. And I didn't know what I would do, but I was going to figure it out, you know, and this, I always say there was never a plan B because there wasn't. And so, you know, at my core, I'm a fan. And I think in order for me to want to work with somebody, I have to be a fan. I have to make mm -hmm. it, you know, I always tell people when I'm listening and considering stuff, it's like, I have to be able to wake up and want to tell somebody else about what you're doing. If your music doesn't push me that far, Mm -hmm. you can still I can still do the job that's what my my history and all the people I've worked for have taught me is the skills I can do it but you want that little Jamie magic you know you gotta I gotta be able to feel it you know like yeah. and that doesn't happen as often um, but that's kind of I, I really try to just do everything unapologetically and hope for the best but I feel like that's all I've got I've just got myself you know so I'll just you know keep being a fan and I'll do it loud and hopefully that makes other yeah. people you know want to do the same thing it was pretty it was really impressive to see what you did to help so many of those side one people and it's like you know i think that jeff is is such an interesting case because yeah. he's he's just pushed so hard and it's like nothing could outweigh the immense amount of talent that he has but i think something that really impresses me is you know i i've talked to so many people who have been doing things for so long and who have been haven't been able to achieve a certain level of recognition and a lot of that has to do with the fact that they've been doing it for so long and that becomes like a tough thing to sell so yeah. like the fact that like Jeff reaches this level after doing it for like 15 years. That's really, really 
rare and impressive. Yeah, I mean, I don't, you know, who knows if he had put out We Cool as a bomb record, if that would have had the same connect, you know, I don't know. I think when, you know, he made We Cool, there was a, it's obviously, like you said, it's the talent, it's the songwriting, it's, those songs were just like, nausea was just like, how the fuck? Like, that shit's like so catchy, so good, um, anybody could tell. But I think it was a mix of that record just being pure fire, but also he has an incredible story. And to be able to kind of, at the time, that was right when Never Get Tired came out. And so that was like, I was able, when I was first working on We Cool, I was able to point people to this documentary. And I, I could catch them up on everything that he had done in less than an hour. <laughs> you know, and it was perfect. And the way the documentary ended couldn't have been more perfect because it ended... I don't know if you recall, he was kind of bummed. Like he was not bummed, but he was like, I don't know what's next for me. You know, yeah. it was a very, like, there was no ending where he's like, and I'm writing this new solo record. It hadn't happened yet. Mm -hmm. So he was like, am I going to have to get a regular job? Maybe, I don't know what's next. And it ends like that. So it was kind of a cool bridge that I was able to build for people, which was, yeah, this is where he ends. But then he found this inspiration to make this record and we're going for it. Mm -hmm. you know and you you know just like if you think about that you know people always joke about um Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio and the Oscars and shit like that it's like y'all have been ignoring this fool and how innovative he's been for this long yeah yeah <laughs> now we're finally really doing some shit come mm -hmm. in now and help be the people who really kick off his true career you know and it worked I found the right champions you know a lot of them existing bomb fans you know mm -hmm. and you know, people, that's the other thing too. These people were bomb fans when they were younger, they get older and now they have positions where they can help, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's just like, he, he built that community and it paid him back later, you know, that's for sure. Um, so side one, beginning yes. of 2018, I just call you up and say, sorry. How does that, I mean, how does that go? That goes, um, let me take you back to December 2017 real oh, quick. Right after uh, you signed Kississippi. Oh yeah, let me, oh, let me spill the tea yeah. because yeah, I, you know, we signed Kississippi. We announced Kississippi. Two, the week before Christmas, we're in New York with Zoe and I'm taking her. We went and we met with different, um, you know, the distributor's office. We went to Spotify for a meeting. Like we got, we went for a meeting with this girl in the office playing music for these people saying it's coming out on this date, blah, 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 blah. Like two weeks before New Year's. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that happens. And then, yeah, it was the first scheduled first day back of the new year after the holidays and woke up to, I had received a text from one of the owners that said, Hey, want to catch up on side one for this year can you meet me at this Starbucks? You know, it was like 30 minutes from where I lived. And I was like, all right, whatever. And then oddly enough, my coworker hits me up. She's like, did you get a weird text this morning? And I'm like, I did. What happened? Uh -huh. Long story short, the other two coworkers, there was only a few of us at the time that were still there. They both got separate texts. There's two owners and a manager. Each of us got our own text to meet up at a different coffee place all at the same time. <laughs> and um, yeah, and I got there. It was, you know, probably he bought me a coffee first and it maybe the whole hang probably took 10 minutes. And he sits down. He tells me what's going on, that, you know, laid off. And um, my first question was, what happens to the bands? You know, like mm -hmm. 
what the hell happens to all those bands? Are you joking? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. and he did not have a good answer for me. He didn't have a clear answer at the time. And I could tell he was very nervous, you know, um, and I, I don't mean to throw him. He, he was probably the best, you know, boss I've had in a long time, but that situation was just handled really poorly. And, um, you know, he asked me if I had any questions and I was like, no, <laughs> like, I asked you my main question, like, okay, mm -hmm. peace out. I'm going to go, you know, and yeah, you're clearly not going to answer. Thing. He didn't, I don't even, here's the thing. He didn't have an answer. <laughs> there was no answer at the time because two weeks earlier they were, it held, I was expensing shit in New York city for them. You know, like mm -hmm. they clearly didn't have an answer. Um, and yeah, I remember that after, I, I didn't know what to do at that point. So I was 30 minutes from my house and I just drove around until I found like a park I could sit at and just like live, experience what I had felt. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, the first phone call I made after I called my husband was I called Zoe. I called Zoe from Kississippi and I talked, I told her first, you know, I told her and her manager at the time because holy shit, we were literally at the cusp of starting this whole thing. And I don't know what happens next, but uh, you know, this is, I wanted them to know right away. And um, from there, it was just like a couple of days worth of a lot of, <laughs> a lot of stuff, a lot of feelings. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think a couple days after it happened, I called one of the, you know, my former bosses and I, I got pretty upset because I just wanted answers on every single artist I had signed over the years. I wanted to know what was happening. Do they ha have you called and told them um, what's up with their contract? You know, I want to know what their plans were. Have you mm -hmm. called these people yet? And, you know, they, they hadn't, they had nothing figured out, you know, and it was a very frustrating time. Um, there are still artists that were on the roster that have never once gotten a call from them. Never to this day. <laughs> so it's like, I understand on a business side that sometimes things have to happen. All good. I'm not yeah. saying that, you know, that's your business. Do what you want with it. You got to lay us off. You got to lay us off. It's all good. It's the way you handle it. It's the way you organize that, that process. You had nothing, no plan. You know, you just, you know, one day they were saying, I remember one day it was, you need to turn your computers back in and all your stuff back in. And then the next day it was like, no, you don't. <laughs> it was just what, like, just so disorganized. It? it was disorganized like that though. That's yeah. the whole process. Like everything was just a mess. And I think that's what hurt more. You know, it was just like, whoa, I just, for me personally, I felt like I just gave you five really great years. I took the name of your business from kind of a graveyard to a new whole new place for you to run with and do whatever, but it wasn't enough. And I thought, you know, I thought maybe I had worked hard enough to get a little bit more respect out of that process, you know, and it just, yeah. it was like all that hard work, all the great things they said to me throughout those five years of my hard work, all that amazing stuff. And all of a sudden gone. And I haven't spoken to pretty much any of those people, my, my former bosses since, you know, like there's one of them I haven't spoken to since the day I was laid off. So it's, it, you know, it's just, it stung a lot. Cause you just, you know, you put so much of yourself into, you know, for someone like me, I put everything into my work yeah. and it was just like a real kind of like one thing, it's one thing to get laid off, but it's another thing for five, 10, 15 people that you've artists that you have grown to love and appreciate and develop over the years, just being left clueless of what they do next. Yeah. And that was just like a secondary pain for me. You know, it was hard. And just like looking and seeing that there's never been anything like beyond, oh, we're restructuring 
things. Like, oh, well, they're signing bands now. <laughs> I fucking saw that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're signing bands now. And you know what? Good luck. That's all I got to say. Good luck. Hire your outside people to work on your records. It's all good. But at the core of that company is dysfunction. And I don't give a fuck anymore. <laughs> like, y'all got to figure your shit out. But good luck to those bands. I, I wish them the best. Truly. <laughs> I watched the one. It. I watched the one do stand up. I fell down that hole getting ready yeah. for this. Just watching some of that stand up. Like, <laughs> oh, okay. You know what? I'm going to plead the fifth on that one. <laughs> <laughs> he, tells us, he tells us a joke about like, uh, it's a story about like two people named like Pam and Peggy. And he's like, I, you, I already don't like them. Like, who, who's named Pam or Peggy? What's your name? She's like, my name's Pam. It's like, oh my god! <laughs> what are the odds? Oh my god, incredible! Very good when you put someone there named Pam. Yep. Slip them a five. <laughs> oh my god! So yeah. So where's your head at? Three years ago today, we're we're uh, a month removed from, from yeah. that. Like where where are you? You're you got plans with Kississippi at this well, point? Well, was it was shaky. Um, the thing with Kississippi was tough was that they were suddenly out of a contract with a brand new record and things that we had just went and pitched for. Um, mm. And I'm not here to tell Zoe's story. She definitely had a really tough time through all of that. Um, but I was not really able to do as much as we had originally planned for. Um, I had a huge marketing plan and we weren't able to do any of it pretty much. We were able to pull off the, you know, an album release. She went on tour with Dashboard Confessional and we put the record out and we, I got some good press on it. And that was kind of all we were able to do. It was a bummer. We had so many big plans, but don't worry, we'll get to those. <laughs> well, we're going to get to our, our big plan soon. So Hell yeah. it's all good. Um, but yeah, a month later, I, you know, it was funny. I, in the weeks following being laid off, it's like, as people found out, I was setting up a ton of meetings. Like I was talking to people all the time, like mm -hmm. labels, managers, just people who were like, what are you looking to do next? And it was honestly very, very cool. And I felt like major imposter syndrome, but everybody wanted to, a lot of labels potentially wanted me to just go do the same job. And I, you know, I probably spent the first like six months afterwards fielding out different conversations and just different paths. And I felt crazy every time one option would kind of run its course. And I would hit that point of like, okay, I probably have to tell them I don't want to do this. Or, mm -hmm. you know, every single thing I was one by one feeling like, I don't really want to do this and I'd have to let it go. And then all of a sudden I'm turning down labels that I love. I'm turning down jobs that are real and would be great and have benefits and all these things. But the problem was, I just felt like they were all the same job you know, and I just felt so, mm -hmm. I didn't want to just go do that for another, I've got to say it, like another couple old white guys. Like I just didn't want to yeah. go make them more money so that they could have a fancy in-ground pool and I could be, you know, living paycheck to paycheck. Like that's bullshit. And mm -hmm. um, so while I'm feeling that at the same time, it was kind of crazy. Um, the day I was laid off, I remember I got off of a phone call that afternoon and I had so many text messages. It was the news must've gotten out. And um, the singer of the Wonder Years, Dan Campbell, had been one of those texts. And he and I knew each other very casually at the time, just through 
random shit. And he said, listen, like, I don't know what your plans are, but we have a new record coming out. And, you know, if you want to be a part of it, I would love to talk to you about it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, huh, now this is, I have a Wonder Years tattoo. Like, this is a band I've been listening to since college. So at that yeah. time I was like, just grateful he has my number, but also like, what? <laughs> like I'm looking <laughs> at my phone just like, <sighs> and so, um, you know, I, I followed up on that. I ended up working on that record. And so I started freelancing just because of that. Honestly, he was a huge reason why I just went for it because I wasn't going to tell my favorite band in the world. No. <laughs> and even though like, it was funny. I remember when I spoke to them, I straight up told them like, as long as y'all are cool with the fact that a, I've never freelanced B I'm in a really tough emotional place right now. Um, like if you're good with how rocky my life is right now and how I'm feeling, I'm, I'm doing it. Like I'm in. And they were, they understood. They were like, listen, you're fine. Like it's all good. And obviously, you know, the results, I honestly feel like speak for themselves, but like, I, I really kill, I feel like I killed it. And um, it, it started a chain of more freelancing gigs with people that I never thought even knew I existed. And, you know, that year I worked boxing, I worked Anthony Green, I worked, Mm. I worked a lot of cool shit that year. And it was just like, I, I would have never even started freelancing truthfully because I was, had severance. I was doing okay. You know, I was just taking these meetings, trying to figure out my next move. I had months worth of that. I could have kept going, but you don't say no to your favorite band. <laughs> so yeah. it just st- sort of started from there. It was crazy. So, you know, we talked about no earbuds and being, um, you know, what it is, which is sort of a, 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 a head, uh, a name that kind of, allow you know allows for some freedom in what the definition is but when does it start to come into your head of like you know this is kind of what i'd like to do yeah um i would say sometime around when the last of those kind of like potential job lead conversations sort of died out um i was down to like the last couple of people i was still having conversations with probably by sometime that summer and still freelancing and enjoying it, but also not really wanting to be a freelance publicist forever. And also knowing I needed to, even if I was going to do that, I needed to brand myself somehow. I needed to like get a website. And honestly, it started from just not wanting to have jamiecoletta.com. You know, I just yeah. thought that was weird. And I always found it strange when people did stuff like that or like their business was just their name, like Jamie Coletta Public Relations. It's like, fuck that, <laughs> Jesus Christ, that's so <laughs> awful. And at the same time, I think um, I had a, fa- a little bit of a community that I had started building towards the end of being at Side One. And to the point where these, it was a bunch of awesome fans of the music who just like stayed in touch. And mm-hmm. they were, I just kind of saw them out there. And I was just like, man, like, I feel like if I was in their shoes, I would be like, they, they were as bummed as we were, you know, cause they had grown to like really get to know us and love us and work with us on stuff. So it was just like, I think I felt sort of like, these people that I like supported and I inspired and all this stuff are just kind of out there rudderless now, you know, and like, not that they needed me by any means, but it was just like, I wanted to create something that they could call home and that they could trust. And just like they, you know, they felt like their trust was broken when that happened. Mm -hmm. Rightfully so mine too. Um, They felt like the, you know, all that positivity and that family feeling was just fake. And so did I. (laughs) And so it was just sort of like, I knew that as a person, I, if that was me in their shoes, I would be feeling pretty like that sucked, you know, and I'd be wanting something to kind of believe in again. And um, 
I want, I would want to see that, that, that community that kind of came out of those bands at that time, like was real. And that wasn't just, you know, a fake thing. And so um, a mix of all of that stuff and really just, I don't want, I didn't want to go work for somebody else. I just wanted to be able to say, even if it's harder in the beginning to get this off the ground, I wanted to be able to do it my way. And when it pops off, I'm the one who benefits and my artists are the one who benefits, not some dude with an in-ground pool, you know, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. that's kind of a mix of all that. Plus I gotta say, my husband was a huge like champion of building it out as um, no earbuds. He was really like, he saw a bigger vision for it. And he was like, dude, you can do shows, you can do merch, you can do this, you can do that. Like he has just been my like absolute champion and he saw the future. And I'll say like, Dan Campbell was another one who was like, you need your own company. You need to do this and the other, like you've got it already. You mm-hmm. just have to kind of take that risk. And that I spent probably the whole latter half of that year preparing for it, you know, and, and really getting the website together and stuff like that. So that was that year. <laughs> It's so cool because it's like it's it doesn't take much to just take like the idea of because you you go to like a PR firm's website and they have their roster of artists, but there's no sense of like, oh, they they must be like pals because they've got the same publicist. But right. you're you have now something that feels like this is a a way for you to collect like your work, but it's also like, it feels like a label. That's cool. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a cool byproduct. I did not intend for it to be that way, but I definitely feel like, you know, it, the whole thing and everything I do is rooted in this kind of community feeling and everyone kind of supporting and lifting each other up in different ways. And I think that you know, helping artists, especially new ones and baby bands and like people just getting started and developing their careers, they, those kind of connections and networking, it's hard for them. They don't know how to do it authentically. And they, I also don't think it really works when they just show up in a DM of something, you know, like it's just, there's Mm. not, you know, I wanted to create a place where, yeah, if one of my artists says you work with so-and-so, I know it's a long shot, but is there any way you can get my music to them? Like, yeah, I'll actually just put you guys in touch because they would really get along with you and blah, blah, blah. Like, Mm-hmm. I want to be able to do that for them. And, you know, that's, that's a huge part of this is like, I want to see my bands touring together. I want when, when they can, I want to see them, you know, supporting one another. I love it when one of my bands drops something new and I see like three or four other ones being like, Oh, this is good. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> like we don't need nobody else. Like a part of this is like, you know, I want to be able to have our own like little bubble that we can like support each other and, and, you know, I remember when, right before I launched Note Earbuds, I met with, I went around LA, I just met with a bunch of different label people and industry people to let them know that I was launching this, mm-hmm. you know, hindsight, fuck them. But I did it because I was trying to do everything, you know, as by the book as I could. And I remember sitting at a lunch with this label and this owner who literally sat across from me and barely looked up from his food, wouldn't like, couldn't be less, you know, interested. He heard me give my whole pitch and all the stuff I was excited about. And he's like, yeah, he's like, no one's going to care about what you do until you have some real numbers though. And he's like, you need to get like, it's cool that you have socials and YouTube and all you got to get your numbers up. And I was like, bro, I don't think you follow what I'm talking about here. But it was almost like that voice in the back of my head has been like, Oh, it's still there today. You know? Cause I'm just like, yeah, I would love to let you know to go fuck yourself because not only now do I have some numbers, but I, 
I knew this was going to happen in the beginning, you know, like I want to be able to have platforms that I don't need motherfuckers like that to tell me no, you know, Mm -hmm. I have my own world. I have my own platforms that artists get featured on, they get discovered. You know what I mean? Like I create this for myself because we don't need people like that. I, you know, that's been a big part of it too. It's just like connecting them together so that they can kind of create and continue to do cool shit together. But also like to be able to give my artists platforms and channels to further promote their music, promote their stories, tell their story, you know, all these things, but through our own little world and our own network, you know, um, and that it, I just want to keep seeing it grow because, you know, and I'm doing things this year to develop on it further so that there's even more avenues for them. And anytime I see an opportunity, that's why I do stuff like this too. You know, like I don't care to tell people about my life, you know, <laughs> this is not about me, but I do it because first off you the homie, but also because, you know, <laughs> this is another avenue. I, I see myself as like, I'm their champion. So I'm going to go out there and I'm going to promote the fuck out of myself because that gets more people to look at them. So it's just always looking for different channels to promote them through. And um, that's really how like a lot of this has grown over the last year too. Well, it's been very cool to see it grow and <laughs> to like, I mean, I knew they, I, I, I knew you were good when you <laughs> hit me up the first time, just <laughs> talking about how much you love meat wave. And I was like, oh, this is, this is great. This is uh, someone who doesn't spend the whole fucking time talking about where it was recorded. Oh God, who cares? It's the songs. It's those, it's the, it's their music. Yeah. I mean, all of that stuff's cool, but we should do a whole separate episode on me wave, dude. (laughs) I'd love that. I Um, I could talk about them for hours. I love them. (laughs) So, uh, you got a comp coming out on friday which will be tomorrow when y'all are hearing this earbuds volume one it's a good cover airbud (laughs) and 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 you got you got homies covering homies on behalf exactly it's it's crazy this you know i've long loved the idea i love seeing artists cover their you know i love seeing covers in general but i really like it when they cover like the lesser known like friends and things like that and i thought this would be a really first i know now every year of no earbuds on the anniversary i want to do something fun um and that's a lot for my mental health because when that day rolls around I can easily, if I don't have anything else to focus on, I can easily get transported right back to that Starbucks. And that sucks. So I launched the business on that same day, a year later, so that I could always have that as my anniversary and therefore always have something fun to celebrate when that day came around. So this year I I was trying to think of something fun for the anniversary. And it was honestly like, like December, I came up with the idea. So I really... (laughs) really doing great over here but um came up with the idea emailed my roster like late at night one night like if i did this would you be down of course everybody's like yes everybody wanted to do it and then yeah in the three weeks of that i had in december i just kind of put the whole thing together i got the tracks and um yeah i thought the idea of them covering each other was cool because you know there are definitely like sleeper things on my roster that people probably haven't checked out yet and maybe it requires them hearing it through the lens of another, you know, of a cover or maybe hearing somebody they don't know cover a song that they do know mm-hmm. makes them go check out that smaller band, you know, like 
either way, artists are connecting now. I mean, like my bigger artists who are covered by smaller ones are now connecting with the smaller bands and we're finding ways to work together. It's incredible. It's doing everything I wanted to on behind the scenes. Um, and you know, yeah, this week we announced like the track listing and I'll, you know, I've been dropping some previews and yeah, the whole thing will come out Friday, tomorrow. And maybe if you're listening to this next week, it's already out. I don't know, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's for charity. I'm raising, going to give all the money I make off of it to the last prisoner project. Um, just like, and I, you know, we've talked about that a lot, but I just, you know, I have a friend who works there and in the past couple of years, I've been. I work with this artist named Roger Harvey mm -hmm. and Roger's a huge marijuana advocate. And so I connected him with him a while ago to do some work. And um, it was crazy back, you know, maybe a year ago now we found out about a musician who had been incarcerated. He, he received like the longest or the harshest sentence here in California for somebody who just had a nonviolent possession charge. Mm -hmm. um, he was pretty much serving a de facto life sentence until he was released just a couple weeks ago. Um, but a year ago, he was yeah. still in jail. He's a musician, but he has no guitar, no way to play or record. So he wrote lyrics and we connected him with Roger who recorded and, and sent the songs back so wow. that, you know, this guy would have music. But then, yeah, he was released a couple weeks ago, which is crazy. So the money is going to go to him. And, and really like, you know, he just got out of prison and he has no clothes. He has no musical instruments. He's got nothing. So mm -hmm. we're going to be, you know, a lot of the bands in the comp, everybody's donating merch. And, you know, we're all kind of rallying behind this. And I just think that, you know, I shouldn't be able to go over to MedMen that looks like an Apple store and buy weed from some fucking kid with like a headset yeah. on and shit. Like, and then this dude's got to be up in jail, missing out. He had two, two sons missing out on their whole mm. life. You know, he's mm. been in there for 20 years, you know? And meanwhile, I'm sitting here, you know, just like, like this should not be this way, you know, it just should not be that way. So I'm excited. Um, and yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm going to do a, a few more volumes this year. That was the idea was to do it as a series. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just because I have, I'm sure I have a lot of other artists who couldn't make this timeline and, you know, want to be a part of the next one and keep kind of building it from here. So hell yeah. Well, yeah. we got a link for that in the show notes. Uh, you and I are going to jump on Patreon. And yes, we are. <laughs> the deposition. Oh, the shit. Dinner party season four. It's going to be so sick. Oof. Jamie, uh, you're one of my favorite people that I met through doing this. Ditto. Um, it was a pleasure to have you on. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks, Tim. All right. All right, folks, check out Jamie and No Earbuds online. NoEarbuds.com. Pick up Earbuds Volume 1 at noteearbuds.bandcamp.com betteryetpod.com betteryetpodcast.bandcamp.com pleasure the show on Patreon patreon.com slash betteryetpodcast we'll see you next week thank you friends <laughs>